Business leaders around the world continue to tackle some big issues as they steer their companies through waves of the pandemic. The focus remains on capturing new and transformational opportunities as they embrace this new way of working. Welcome to Baker McKenzie's Resilience, Recovery, and Renewal podcast series. I'm Jen Northam. Throughout this series, our aim is to take a deep dive into some of the more critical challenges that companies face today, and we'll provide practical advice from some of the leading experts in their fields. Today, our focus is on inclusion and diversity. Now, it's a topic that's seen increasing attention over the years, and rightly so. We all know that diversity brings a lot to the table. Having that balance of voices means a more thoughtful conversation, a broader range of skills, and that all leads to an increase in productivity, happier employees, and ultimately just better outcomes. Joining me to discuss how companies can foster IND within their own organizations are Yindi Gishinde. Yindi's a partner in the Baker McKenzie Dispute Resolution Team based in London, and she's a member of the Compliance and Investigations Group. Monica Konertovsky also joins us from London, and Monica is a partner who advises clients on the employment aspects of strategic projects. Monica also co-leads the firm's global inclusion and diversity advice to clients. And Paul Evans. Paul is the New York and East Coast leader for the Employment and Compensation Practice Group. He's also a member of the steering committee for the firm's North American Employment and Compensation Practice. So, Yindi, if I can start with you, IND is really now firmly at the top of the corporate agenda. And why is that? What's happened? Thanks, Jen. And and really great to be here. Well, you're right. Inclusion and diversity really has moved to the forefront of the corporate agenda globally. And I think this is because of the confluence of a lot of different social movements, uh, global events and issues we've experienced over the past few years in particular, and generally a greater awareness of and focus on things like ESG. In terms of social movements and global events, we have the Me Too movement, which really gained speed and global recognition in late 2017. And we know that it affected a number of industries. We also saw the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, following George Floyd's murder. And around the same time, of course, the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on women, ethnic minorities and those living with disabilities also really further highlighted inequalities which already existed, but which perhaps the majority were less cognizant of. So those are some of the external factors. And then coupled with this, companies have been facing increasing stakeholder pressure for some time, really. And corporate social responsibility is no longer a nice to have. And so this has required companies to think bigger and move faster and more meaningfully to address inequality, underrepresentation and discrimination. And so along with that, a variety of stakeholders, so investors, customers, employees, are really wielding their considerable influence to demand change. And there's just no way that companies or their leadership could ignore that. And they haven't really. And Paul, as Indy's saying, you know, leadership hasn't ignored it, but were they prepared to embrace such a commitment to IND and the demand that that came so quickly? Was the C-suite ready? And and what have been some of the barriers that they've been hitting? We found that The C-suite definitely had the willingness to engage in IND, but there has been a slippage in the execution. And that's one of the reasons why we embarked on our Mind the Gap series. That series explores the roles that different functions within an organization have in a company's inclusion and diversity initiatives and, and space. And in the first part of that series, we talked to compliance leaders about the way in which IND impacts their work and their day-to-day and the role that they play in a company's goals and initiatives on that front. 
In our latest portion of the report, we talked to employment leaders about how organizations can strengthen their performance, manage risk, and accelerate progress from their perspective. Circling back to your question, we have found that many companies are far less down the IND path than they had hoped that they would be at this point in time. And that's due to a number of challenges. Uh, First of all, we have found that diversity leaders say that their existing IND programs are effective. However, they're still focusing on the same long-held priorities that they've had for many years, rather than pushing the envelope. Simply raising awareness for IND was identified as a priority by 55% of our Mind the Gap survey participants. And 34% of diversity leaders believe that IND issues remain underreported in their organizations. In general, what we have found is that companies have a desire to push the envelope on IND, but they don't really know exactly how to do it. And that they're struggling with that as they move forward to figure out how and what to focus on and how and what to measure so that they continue to devote their resources where they're most effective. So that's really interesting. So Monica, this Mind the Gap report, you know, and and what Paul's been saying reflects a bit of a disconnect that can sometimes happen, which does hinder progress. I mean, can you explain that disconnect a bit more? Every organisation is obviously slightly different, but we did identify three common challenges, which we dubbed foresight, oversight and insight. And by foresight, What we really mean is the struggle that organisations have to keep up and evolve. And Yindi talked about the pressures coming internally and externally on organisations to go further and faster. And and that sometimes means pressure to go further than the law even allows. And of, of course, flexing to the changing environment is important, but that can sometimes lead to this multiplicity of initiatives without necessarily strategic intent and, and then a dilution of the focus Secondly, we talked about oversight. So in particular, a common concern um, that inclusion and diversity issues are underreported or sometimes managers locally try to contain them. And that's not necessarily for bad reasons, but the result is that leadership don't necessarily have oversight of what all the issues are. There's a lack of consistency, a lack of understanding of the concerns, and it can leave organisations vulnerable to risk. The final area really picks up on something Paul said, which is about insight. So organisations devoting resources and budget to inclusion and diversity programmes, but not necessarily having really analysed the data to get to the root of the challenges to dig out what the real pinch points are and then not measuring what what was working. So I think organisations that can focus on those three things will really put themselves in a really strong position to to move forward and meet some of those stakeholder challenges. Paul, I'd love to talk about this issue of retention and equal pay. You know, we're seeing almost all companies make a greater effort to recruit a more diverse workforce, but there's a big issue of, as I say, retention and equal pay. And, and you've got great experience with the Employment and Compensation Practice Group How are you advising your clients in order to ensure that there's real measurable actions put in place regarding those? Sure. And this really piggybacks on what Monica was just talking about. One of the things that we've worked with clients to focus on is using their real-time data to help them understand the efficacy of their pay practices and how those practices correlate with their diversity goals and initiatives. 
One thing that we've done for a long time with clients is conduct pay equity audits, both domestically and globally. And those audits tend to focus on finding pay gaps between similarly situated employees. More recently, we have spent a lot of time with clients not just identifying those gaps and remediating them, but really looking at the root causes of any gap that they find within their organization and helping them identify what policies and practices they can put in place to ensure that those gaps don't continue to arise year after year. So one example that I like to give is a lot of organizations tend to prioritize promoting from within. And within organizations, particularly as they strive for greater diversity at more senior levels, a number of internal promotions will often be among diverse candidates. Those same organizations, without having given a lot of thought to it, often limit the percentage pay increase that they will give to an internal promotee. And so as they promote diverse employees, they suppress their pay compared to their peers. We have seen that play out time after time within organizations. And we've helped them rethink those compensation philosophies that are driving pay differences, and in some cases, really hurting retention of their most talented employees. Uh, That's just one example. But what we really strive to do with, with organizations is work with the data that they have and help them figure out where their slippages are so that they can further uh, enhance their pay equity goals and initiatives across the globe. Now, Monica, it's interesting because you advise clients in what I would consider and what most would consider pretty male-dominated worlds. I mean, you advise financial services, technology, and manufacturing on, on different employment aspects of strategic projects. What are you seeing when it comes to IND in those particular sectors? You're right. They are traditionally quite male-dominated worlds. And to be fair, I think all three sectors have been working to address, in particular, recruitment and retention of women. That's been a focus for a number of years. And attention has turned to ethnicity. There's obviously still a long way to go on both and, and even more so on other characteristics like disability, where really organisations are only just beginning. A couple of things that stand out for me. First is that I think organisations are increasingly looking to use um, what we call positive action measures here in the UK. So I'm thinking things like diverse shortlists and also using technology to identify the best candidates and my uh, more diverse slates of candidates and, and help shift the needle on recruitment and often being prepared to take quite a degree of legal risk in terms of how far they're prepared to go. I think secondly, clearly re- Recruitment is all very well and good, but people need to be retained and they need to progress. So we also see that kind of growing recognition of the need to focus on an inclusive culture as really part of the key to unlocking some of these challenges around retention and progression. And I think that sort of growing recognition probably does also apply across all sectors. But there was one other interesting finding from our report, which, again, was, I think, across all sectors, but specific to companies which were in high growth, they tended to report increasing numbers of investigations and also litigation around this area. And I think that that highlights that in in those high growth organisations, really, there's a particular need to focus not 
only on culture, but some of the more basic aspects of sort of conduct, which are a clear and important part of culture, but really quite at a basic level. So that that was a really interesting finding that came through. So that's interesting. So, Indy, that kind of brings us to compliance. And I'd love to kind of look at IND with your compliance hat on, because the, the stats, you know, as Monica said, were quite interesting. And, and when it comes to compliance, the report found that 95% of compliance leaders say IND is now an integral part of compliance. What are you seeing and what are some of those challenges for those leaders? What I'm seeing is a lot of compliance leaders are, are really experiencing the pressures we were talking about at the outset and they're being the ones you know, who are being tasked to respond to them. So many of my clients who lead compliance functions are being asked to build inclusion and diversity into their role, both in monitoring and improving inclusion and diversity in their own teams. And they're being measured against internal metrics and being held accountable for that. But also more broadly, they're being asked to assist with the company's global, you know, inclusion diversity efforts. And that is something that, you know, has been on their plate that wasn't necessarily there before. And in terms of the challenge I think they face is that an overwhelming majority of the compliance leaders we surveyed in the first report agreed that companies are best able to manage risk when there is a strong connection between compliance, culture and inclusion diversity. But about half of the compliance leaders who responded said that they had little ownership of inclusion diversity strategy or policies. So there was that disconnect there. I mean, not having ownership doesn't mean they had no interaction with those who create and manage the IND strategy and policies. But what my clients were telling me was that often these conversations, they're ad hoc, they're reactive rather than proactive and often being driven by external events or crises and circumstances rather than being intentionally open lines of communication with a purpose. And so is there a risk involved? Is there a risk involved to those companies who aren't embracing their IND goals as well as they should or they're not achieving those goals? Definitely. I mean, aside from you know the fact that, as we all know, it can really affect a company's bottom line and their ability to attract and retain talent, there could also be legal risks in the form of litigation and or investigations, as Monica mentioned. So just to dive into that in a bit more detail, there are a couple of interesting statistics from part one of the report which reflected this. So 28% of the respondents stated that their organisations were vulnerable to litigation as a result of public promises on inclusion and diversity that couldn't be met or measured. And in the US in particular, we've seen that investors are not afraid to make their feelings known via litigation if they don't believe that a company is living up to its stated values and if they also believe that that is impacting the value of their investments. And similarly, 68% of compliance leaders said that a lack of diversity in the compliance team itself undermined their ability to conduct fair and effective investigations, which, again, in and of itself can lead to much more um, you know, greater risks for the organisation. And I've certainly seen throughout my career that the importance of having a diverse group of voices around the table when conducting an investigation, which really can't be overstated. And Paul or Monica, do you want to jump in on that? I think the thing I'd add to that, I mean, I mean Yindi made the point about retention. You may not retain people, or if you do, you just won't unlock everything that they've got to offer. And if people spend their time fitting in rather than sort of positively bringing the benefits of diversity that organisations crave. That's a great point that you won't unlock, you know, the potential really. Yeah, exactly. Paul? Yeah, what I would add, uh, thinking again about the C-suite, you know, we've talked about the pressures on the C-suite that come both from internal and external stakeholders 
to make real progress on IND, those pressures are being funneled down to their subordinates. And so I think I have found that on top of all the good reasons to engage in IND, employees are starting to find that it really impacts their job performance and their growth opportunities within organizations. This has become a priority just like profitability is a priority, and it is a need to have for someone who wants to be successful in advance. Well, it's all good news. It sounds like it's all moving, hopefully, in the right direction. I mean, I'd love to end the podcast with some top bits of advice from all of you. What's your top bit of advice to help companies really strengthen their IND strategy? And Paul, if we can start with you. I think the companies that are furthest behind are the ones that are still emphasizing measuring the problem rather than solving it. And this is a phenomenon that I've seen for the last 15 years in organizations. The first thing that many companies do is try to calculate what is the pay gap or what uh, percentage of people do we have in different roles. And they spend a lot of time and effort trying to get those numbers right. And that's fine, but it's time to move beyond measurement and really think about progress. What are the initiatives that we're going to take to move the dial in those areas? And so my advice to clients is always the same. Let's get past trying to perfectly measure every aspect of your IND initiatives and your IND goals. And let's start really talking about how do we measure progress and how do we measure what's working so that we can devote our resources to it going forward. Great. And Yindi? I would say um, ensure there are clear lines of communication between the key functions responsible for inclusion and diversity and agenda setting and the compliance team and make sure there are lots of opportunities for collaboration between the two. I think a, a weakness in collaboration and coordination was identified in both the part one and part two Mind the Gap reports. And there is a real benefit in approaching these issues in a, a similar way to how the compliance team generally approaches managing and mitigating the other risks which an organisation faces. Great. And Monica, we will leave you with the last word. My final comment is to really pay attention to what is the cause of the problem. So if I give you an example, if we notice that people in a particular group, let's say women, don't progress beyond a certain level, do we just coach them on how to succeed? Or do we actually get more curious and lift the bonnet, metaphorically speaking, to sort of find out what else is going on. So things like how our performance system evaluates skills or our system of allocating work to see if there's something else we really need to address. So I think, you know, be curious about what the cause of the problem is and then prioritise your focus and spend. Great. All good advice. Well, thanks everybody for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening today. For more information on what we've discussed, please visit bakermckenzie.com. And for a read of the Mind the Gap series we've been discussing, visit bakermckenzie.com forward slash mind the gap series.